Welcome to Walters Kluwer Clinical Drug Information's Our Experts Academy, a resource center offering professionals knowledge for the next era of healthcare. I'm Our Experts editor, Margie Zatelli, and this is the Retail Roundup podcast. This episode, I'm joined by David J. Fong, PharmD, a former retail pharmacy senior executive who is now president of Dave Fong RX Consulting Incorporated. Dave is a regular blogger for the RxPerts Academy, examining trends affecting pharmaceutical manufacturers, distributors, retailers, payers, and healthcare technology. Today, we're going to discuss some of the top issues we expect to impact the retail pharmacy industry in the coming year. So Dave, let's kick things off with one of the most talked about topics in pharmacy circles recently, direct and indirect remuneration, or DIR fees. Can you explain what DIR is and why so many pharmacy professionals are talking about it right now? Hi, Margie, and first I want to thank you and Walters Kluwers for the opportunity to share my professional perspective on what I think are the top pharmacy, not issues, as much as opportunities for 2017. But before we start, I'd like to preface by saying that pharmacy is positioned for success in the long term. Pharmacy continues to grow its presence and is positioned to play a key role as we move into a more value-based care model and reimbursement system that will truly result in a higher level of care, advocate healthy living, and more cost-effective spend of the healthcare dollars. So to answer your question, what are DIR fees? Well, DIR is the acronym for direct and indirect remuneration. CMS created DIR fees as a way to track annual amounts from manufacturer rebates and price adjustments applied to their prescription drug plans that offsets the cost for operating the Medicare Part D program. As is the case, like any other business, CMS needs to ensure that they're on budget, so any variance to that budget is charged back to the plans and payers for the difference. So what are the issues with retroactive DIR fees? that are impacting on pharmacy. The impact is really financial. Contractually, and a little bit of background here, contractually pharmacies agreed to the terms of their participation in a Medicare Part D program for the following year. Pharmacy then incorporates those financial terms into the planning process. And this takes place sometime around September, October of, of a year prior to the coming year. For pharmacy, this planning is critical since the financial roadmap to success not to vary from the plan since there are budget spend implications. The retroactive assessments by plans and PBMs to true up or claw back once a quarter or at the end of the year has really led to an accounting nightmare. This impact, and, and, and I think what's important to recognize is, is it material or is it not? And in surveying several of my pharmacy uh, friends and peers in the industry, what we're hearing is that the average impact over the course of the last year has grown from 44 cents a claim to 80 cents a claim. That 87% of the pharmacies are significantly affected by their ability to provide patient care and remain in business. 67% that they're not yet provided with any information as to how much and when DIRs would be collected or assessed, while 53% are saying they're getting it on a quarterly basis, but the lag time makes it almost impossible to determine at the time of dispensing whether their net reimbursement is covering their costs. 
we are also hearing from several of the providers that while retroactive DIR applies only to Medicare Part D, plans and PBMs are now considering it as a financial strategy for their commercial plans. Going forward, what's very important in the planning process is that pharmacy needs to partner with the payers in order to ensure more consistent predictability and mitigate this lack of transparency on the DIR assessments. As we look at other feedback from and comments from the pharmacy community, we recognize the DIR reassesses. How do we expect to see the issue of DIR fees playing out in 2017? Talking with my pharmacy friends, we don't believe that retroactive DIR assessments will go away. What they are doing, and some of the helpful hints, are the following in the short term. Pharmacy needs to understand all of the retroactive DIR fee criteria, understand their sensitivity risk range, and what its direct impact on pharmacy. Secondly, that they understand their performance metrics and how best to calculate performance as they trend the data and accrue based on those trends. Three, to be able to provide a reasonable estimate of reimbursement at the point of care based on that trend. And finally, to ask PBMs and plans for more timely reporting and better line item detail on chewing up for reconciliation of these uh, 835 remittance reports. In the long term, there is significant support for bipartisan legislative bills in Congress to boost more transparency in the Medicare Part D spending and prohibit retroactive DIR fees being applied to pharmacy. Another uh, hot topic in the industry is pharmacist medical provider status. What sort of opportunity does provider status represent for pharmacy? And since there is currently no legislation regarding provider status at the federal level, what's going on at the state level to assist with the uh, pursuit of provider status and, and regulating it? You know, for the pharmacist and for pharmacy and pharmacists, there's really two opportunities. One is professional and two is financial. Professionally, provider status is the opportunity for pharmacy to promote patient access to pharmacist services and recognize pharmacists for their critical role in providing patient care alongside physicians and other healthcare practitioners. Financially, during this era of shrinking reimbursements, Pharmacy across the country continues to work toward a common goal, which is to gain legislative recognition and really be compensated as healthcare providers for their patient care services, such as MedSync, MTM, chronic disease state management, and patient education. Since there is no current passage of the bill at the federal level that would provide consistency and standardization across all 50 states, States specifically are introducing bills to recognize pharmacy as a provider. Over the past year, 86 bills were delivered across all 50 state legislatures and categorized into three areas, designating a pharmacy as a provider, scope of practice changes that enables pharmacists to provide certain services that are within their education and training, and three, payment for or coverage for pharmacist services. So there is a lot of activity. Unfortunately, 
each state is uh, creating and promulgating its own sets of rules. And what we're hoping and encouraging is a federal preemption that would provide consistency and standardization across all 50 states. What are some of the pros and cons for pharmacists of uh, achieving uh, provider status? And, and I really don't look at it as pros and cons as, as much as challenges to meet expectations. Mm -hmm. And really, as we take a look at what the true challenges are, number one, can we, we as pharmacy, both the profession as well as the professional deliver and execute the expectations? Can we really move the needle and deliver value to make a difference in the healthcare spend? Are we able to demonstrate consistently between pharmacies as well as between pharmacists within the same pharmacy to meet the expectations of both payer and the patients? And how do we balance our current transaction-based business with the evolving role of being clinical-based professionals? And then another challenge is, is the pharmacy reimbursement commensurate with the scope of service? Are there political implications? Are we crossing the line with other healthcare professionals and their specific roles and responsibilities? There's a lot more work that still needs to be done, but truly there is true advocacy supporting pharmacy having a seat at the table. Another uh, potential area for expanding pharmacy services is telehealth. Do you expect to see a continued growth of clinics and telehealth offerings in, in the retail pharmacy community? Great, great question. And the, a little bit of background on retail clinics. There definitely is a growing presence and acceptance by the healthcare and patient communities that retail clinics can be a key provider of care. As we all know, there's a shortage of primary care physicians and a growing cost of healthcare, while retail clinics continue to expand portfolios of services. As we look at the growth, we really believe that uh, retail clinics are positioned to handle the growing population of healthcare demand, access, affordability, and quality of care. The numbers are pretty astounding. Uh, today we have approximately 2,100 retail clinics with a forecast of 2,800 within the next few years. Once a questionable business model now demonstrates a channel commitment and accepted responsibility to play a significant role in advancing the quality of care and scope of patient care at an affordable cost. Clinic providers are primarily in retail stores and in adjacent to retail pharmacies. Clinic providers are collaborating now with retail pharmacists to expand and complement portfolios of core services, thus providing coordinated care for chronic conditions. What about the relationship between hospital systems and retail? Are there greater opportunities for partnerships there, do you think? Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. We all know that readmissions costs Medicare approximately $26 billion a year and most of that could be saved if patients were given proper care during and after their first visits to the hospital. Integrated healthcare systems and regional clinics have identified this as an opportunity to reduce healthcare spend by expanding and partnering with retail clinics and community providers such as pharmacies to provide preventive, acute, or chronic care in kind of a what we call a hub and spoke model. This continuum of care connects the physician and services with the patient with transparency using video follow-up consultation as an opportunity to stay 
connected as well as engaged with the patients. What's been reported, and it's um, really a, a value proposition for both the healthcare system, pharmacy, and retail clinics, is that patients who receive MTM and reconciliation at the time of transition care from hospitals to home has decreased readmission rates at 7, 14, and 30-day discharge. Financial savings per 100 patients were estimated about $35,000, translating to about a million five on an annual basis. Visits to retail clinics lead to approximately a $4.4 billion annual reduction in healthcare spend versus ER visits. Pharmacists are well positioned to partner with retail clinics and integrated healthcare systems. Today, pharmacists are expanding their role in providing access to greater care by administering immunizations, screens, and other care management activities. Additionally, pharmacists are actively taking patient engagement to the next level at a time when there's an interesting convergence of legislation, patient demand, payment mechanism, and technology innovation. What do I mean by that? Uh, legislation, patient engagement is now mandated and required as part of the meaningful use rule that encourages and incents providers to communicate more effectively and provide a higher level of care. To access to data, a growing demand for access to patient data by patients and caregivers. And three, moving towards more value-based reimbursement We've already talked a little bit about the star ratings and CMS DIR incentives to ensure that there is alignment between EMS plans and payers as well as other providers when we're talking about value-based outcomes. It was uh, it was a big deal for us over here on the clinical drug information team at Walters Kluwer when uh, the FDA approved the first biosimilar earlier in 2016 made big news for us and for the pharmaceutical and pharmacy community. How do you think these new products will impact the retail community? Thank you. Total drug spend is forecast to increase 6 to 8% annually over the next few years. Specialty drugs, which account for 36% of the total spend, is expected to increase 17% annually over the next few years. As debate rages over the continued increases in drug pricing, biosimilars are an opportunity to achieve significant savings over the next five years. We really believe that one, it increases the availability and could realize over $40 billion in savings, and that these potential savings of biosimilars for the top three inflammatory drugs, Remicade and Humira, actually reached the market in 2017. In fact, Pfizer just announced the release of Inflectra, which is a biosimilar to Remicade, in that it will be released in late November. And Novartis released Zarxio, which is the biosimilar for Angie's As more biosimilars become available in the U.S. marketplace, Pharmacists will need to work closely with prescribers to determine which patients are appropriate to begin therapy with a biosimilar, which patients are eligible 
the transition to biosimilars who are currently stable on branded drugs, and which products should be automatically substituted by pharmacists with no prescriber intervention. Opioid abuse has made news across the country. It continues to be a big social concern beyond the healthcare community. Uh, but within the healthcare community, what kind of role can pharmacy play in confronting this epidemic in the next year? Yeah, the numbers are pretty shocking. Over 44,000 people die from accidental drug overdose every year in the U.S., and mostly from opioids. Opioids-related hospitalization has increased 72% in healthcare costs associated with addiction, which has grown to 15 billion from 2002 to 2012. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration has called for sweeping changes to opioid policy. Congress is currently considering what they call the Comprehensive Addiction and Recovery Act, which would expand the availability of naloxone enhance prescription drug monitoring programs, improve treatment for addicts, and expand prevention and education initiatives, among other measures. When asked what would be the role of pharmacy in confronting this epidemic in the next year, the goal is primarily optimizing the benefit of appropriate use of opioids for pain management while stopping the progression of opioid misuse, abuse, addiction, and overdose. This will require a collaborative effort amongst all healthcare providers besides just pharmacy. However, as we take a look at the role of pharmacy, specifically, what I see are the following. One, to ensure that patients understand the appropriate use, that pharmacists understand their role as being the front line of healthcare, thus in many cases, first responder to misuse and abuse and this primarily means educating physicians on different opioids, as well as educating patients about the risk for addiction and symptoms of overdose, proper dosing, and disposal from unattended users. As the gatekeeper of opioid medications, pharmacists have a corresponding responsibility to ensure that prescriptions are legitimate and valid. And therefore, they need to consistently refer to the B PDMP program, or what we call the Prescription Drug Monitoring Program, that currently operates in 49 of the 50 states. And this program collects data on drug prescribing as well as dispensing, and thus can help in avoiding patient-doctor shopping. Pharmacists can identify patients at risk and collaborate with prescribers. And finally, Many states have approved naloxone as an auto-injector or as a newly approved nasal spray for pharmacists to dispense without a prescription. Naloxone acts quickly and can reverse opioid overdose and has no abuse potential. Thank you, Dave, and thanks to everyone who took the time to join us for this retail roundup of important, not issues, but uh, opportunities facing the retail pharmacy industry. If you want to find out more about Walters Kluwer Medication Safety and Pharmacology Resources for Retail, visit our website, www.walterskluwercdi.com. That's W-O-L-T-E-R-S-K-L-U-W-E-R-C-D-I.com. Or you can contact our sales department at 855-633-0577. 
Let us know if you enjoyed this podcast, and maybe we can get Dave to join us again in a few months to take another look at the changing landscape of retail pharmacy. Connect with us on social media. We are Walters Kluwer Clinical Drug Information on Facebook and LinkedIn, or you can follow us on Twitter at WK Drug Info. To access blogs, webinars, podcasts, and more from the Our Experts Academy, visit www.walterskluwercdi.com slash R experts. That's the letter R, the letter X, P-E-R-T-S. Thank you.